I didn't have Zach introducing the, oh, and now we're going to hear this week's message. So I'm a little late bringing this out. Um, but we want to invite up our guest speaker today. If you can come on up, his name is Greg Muscleman, is how he told me to pronounce that. Muscle, oh, Muscleman, all right, all right. So Muscleman, you can judge whether he's the Muscleman or not. Um, he's trying to fill Mark's shoes. As we heard last week, they're pretty big ones to fill. I think I fill them well, but other people may not. Um, and so he's a minister of the word around the world. And so we're so glad that you are here with us. Works for Voice of the Martyrs, but also you may know him from 100 Huntley Street or maybe way back when, when he became a Christian through our church, which I think he's going to yeah. share a little bit more about today too. So blessings, brother. All right. Well, thank you. Want to see if I'm a muscle man or not? <laughs> yeah, I think as the years go by, you know, anyway, it's uh, wonderful to be here. I got the lights. I can't quite see, but I know I have seen familiar faces, uh, the Schmales and the Breitkreutzes and, uh, and others that, uh, that may remember me back 40 years ago. And uh, interestingly, in May, May 20th of this year, at Meadowlark Baptist Church, Arlene and I were married. And so we're excited about uh, 40. You can clap if you want, like 40 years. For her, for her. And uh, my son Matt was dedicated at Meadowlark, and Arlene was actually baptized there. And um, I made the decision to follow Jesus in the spring of 1982 at Westland Baptist Church. So... Spiritual roots are here, and it is always an incredible privilege uh, to be in this place. Uh, God has done amazing things. Mark, uh, Pastor Mark has become a good friend now, and uh, we spent some time recently and just love the guy's heart. And I love what's happening here. Uh, there's a lot of challenges facing the church right now in our country, in America, and right around the world. Uh, I think about a third of evangelical Christians have not returned to church, um, but God is working. And whether we have a building and, you know, we have wonderful worship this morning in this great place, but it's, you know, the gospel advancing is not incumbent upon having things. The thing that we need more than anything is the Holy Spirit. And I think as I've gotten older and I'm really starting to understand the importance of being led and guided by the Holy Spirit. We can be discouraged what's going on in our nation, but God is working. Now, you could be, if you want to be animated, like I've preached in Africa, and I mean, every second word is, come on, brother, preach it. So, so it's okay. You know, like some of you, I, I know there's some folks that have come from some of these places, so it's okay to amen and affirm me, you know, okay. Um, I just want to make a couple announcements uh, before I get going. We have a newsletter uh, with the Voice of the Martyrs. It's important to be praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible, very clear, if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer together. If brothers and sisters are imprisoned, we need to remember them, not in just sort of a passive way, but to remember those. And all around the world, brothers and sisters in places like North Korea are imprisoned in concentration camps because they love Jesus. God is working, and we need to be praying and encouraging each other. So I'm talking today about pressing ahead, and I know it's part of the, the messages that Mark has been bringing in the new year, and, and we need to remember that. We don't give up. Right until the very day that we die on our with the Lord, let's keep moving forward. Let's advance God's kingdom. Now, I hope you all got a handout. I uh, got some questions here for you. You can either write them down here or get some paper at home and just and maybe take some notes. One of the things that, uh, you know, I speak in a lot of churches, especially in Canada, and after somebody hears the message, they go, oh, that's, I didn't know that was going on. I didn't think that was at that bad anymore. Well, the reality is persecution is getting worse 
and it's going to continue to get worse until Jesus returns. But the very least that we can do is to be praying for our family. So hearing the stories, that's why I encourage people to get our newsletter or magazine uh, on a monthly basis. It is so important that we not only hear the stories of persecution, but the incredible victory. Um, uh, we also have what's called the Persecution Prayer Alert, which you can get on a weekly basis, three items or so each week, and to be praying and interceding. The challenge is, is that we often just pray about our own needs, or those are even around us, but let's go beyond that. And that will, you know, increase your faith as well. Uh, so I'd encourage you to do that. We also have a podcast. It's called Closer to the Fire with Greg Musselman. And that's me. Um, this is my podcast. And, uh, and if you're, if we, we do it about twice a month. And uh, we're talking to Christian leaders and persecuted believers all over the world. In fact, I've got an interview tomorrow morning that I'll be doing that we'll upload on Friday. Uh, his name is Afshin. And Afshin is a brother. He's a Muslim background guy. He is working with Christians in Iran. Uh, now, some of you may not know that Iran has the fastest growing church in the world by percentage. It's amazing what God is doing. In the middle of all that chaos, when you watch the news and you see these brave women taking off their hijabs and saying, we want freedom. And in all the chaos and executions and all the things that are going on, this, this government is trying to repress anything that comes against them. And yet Iran has got the fastest growing church in the world. So I'll be talking to Afshin about that. Amen. You know, I can, I'll start preaching before I even get my notes. I hope you guys got some time here. But the kingdom of God is advancing by force, right? We are pressing ahead. We're not a bunch of wimps. We're advancing into enemy territory, and God is working. You know, that's why, you know, against hell will not prevail against the church. It's not the church is on, like, see some defensive thing just trying to hang on. We're advancing God's kingdom. And people are coming to know Jesus. In this time, more Muslims are becoming Christians than any time in history. It's amazing. I have so many Muslim friends that have had dreams and visions and miracles happen, and they're going out there and risking their lives for the gospel. Uh, we also talk about what's going on in Afghanistan, in North Korea, in India. We'll be talking about that in Nigeria, in China. All the things that are happening around the world, sometimes my mind just scrambles, even when I get up here and I'm trying to tell you about what's going on, just to say that, you know what, the book of Acts is still being written, Acts 29, it's long. The Lord is working in powerful ways. Anyway, just stand just for a moment, and uh, we'll pray. And if you want to stand up the whole time, because I have to stand, then you're welcome to do that. <laughs> Father, we thank you for this time. We just pray the Holy Spirit would come in power and might. To, to strengthen us. We live in a dark time in this nation. But in dark times, there need to be people of light that are so full of your light and your love that it just flows from us into those around us, into our communities here in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and around the world. Father, I just pray as I'm speaking today, sharing stories of, of your children that are suffering Lord, that that would just somehow grip our hearts, not so we'd feel sad and despondent, but that we'd be encouraged and strengthened by their faith, that when we feel like giving up, we won't do that. We thank you for what you're doing and will continue to do in this place and in the church, in this, in this city, in this nation. In the name of Jesus, amen. And you can be seated. So in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 to 14, and uh, most scholars and theologians believe that Paul wrote uh, Philippians while he was imprisoned for two years. 
So you, you just keep that in mind as he's writing this. He he's, has his freedom limited. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it. Like all that he had done up to that point, and maybe all that you've done or I've done, we, you know, we're, we're grateful for what God has done. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. He uses this, this analogy, this athletic analogy, this race. Like, okay, well, I've done this, and I've done this, and that's great. That helps us to remember that God was faithful, continue to be faithful, but we don't stop. Say, well, I've done my thing now. No, we've got to keep going right to the end. I, my 65th birthday is coming up, and most of my friends uh, are retired. My broadcasting buddies, my school buddies from back home in B.C., and yet I'm going, I can't have that mentality. I can now just sit and rest and go, you know, I have to certainly have to pace myself. I haven't learned that very well at times, go too hard. But I am learning. Um, but we, we continue to, to go forward. I press on towards the goal to win the prize, which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The theme of my life, and for Arlene, my wife Arlene, by the way, is here, and so is Linnea and her husband Chase and Amelia and her boyfriend Ryan. Hi, guys. I got my cheering second. So if everybody else hates me in this room, I at least got one row that likes me. No. I know you guys like me. Um, but all that we accomplish, you know, in, in our lives, we just can't let age and things like that stop us. We've got to keep going forward to the very last moment when we are called home to be with the King of Kings. And like the songs that we sang this morning, they're just, they're so true and they're so right. But in order to press ahead, we can't be bound by fear. And a lot of Christians pretty discouraged by what's going on in our nation. But we can't fear that. That's why I'm one of my, I don't make resolutions. I only make one resolution not to make resolutions. But goals, I have some goals, is to be on my phone less reading about what is going on. I want to know what's going on, but I, I, I get, you can get consumed by that. We need to spend time in this. Because this is more relevant than the news that will be on tonight or any newspaper, anything you can find online. It's the Bible, by the way, and I've read it a few times, kind of all messed up, but I can't part with it. It's like a teddy bear. I just love this thing. But we need to know what God is saying and what God is doing and then and not allowing the fear, you know, to be able to pull us back. We want to keep moving forward. Now, one of the things that I have really tried to do in my life is to be obedient to the Lord. And I know that I mess it up. I, sometimes I run ahead of the Lord. One thing I love about reading the Bible, when you read people like Abraham and Sarah and Jacob, they see they're messing up God's plan. They get impatient, and yet God is still working. And I know that he's working in our lives as well. But fear can, be a, 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 it can debilitate us in such a way that we can't do anything. And I think about a country like India, and, and you've got all these villages and, you know, that are Hindu villages. And if you're familiar kind of what's going on there, you've got a very radical government that if you are Indian, you are Hindu. And if you're not, there's something wrong with you and they suffer greatly. But I have a friend of mine, his name is David Witt. Spirit of Martyrdom is the name of his ministry. And they have committed to planting, I think, around 100,000 churches. They don't have the funds for that. It's in faith. They will train these church planters. Many of them are brand new Christians. They'll spend about six months getting its, you know, extensive training. They will be fed. They will be clothed. They'll get the food. And then they will go out into these various communities. And so after the six months, they have their graduation. And uh, so these church planters are at this meeting. You can go on to the next one. 
you go into, say there, the, you know, going into these villages and preaching the gospel. And so they, after graduation, these church planters all come together. And what they do, and they, this didn't happen when I graduated from Bible school, but they will put one hand in the air, some of you were doing during worship, as a surrender to God, and they will put another hand on their, on their throat, and they will quote Revelation 2.10, which says, Be faithful, even unto the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. And as they're doing that, they're looking down at their families, tears streaming down their face, knowing that their service to God and church planting in some of these hostile areas could very well cost them their life. But they will not be ruled by fear. There was one brother that, I, that David was telling me about and he went out as a church planter. He went into this community and he was sharing about Jesus and people were starting to come to the Lord and he was discipling them. And one day the village leader got wind of what was going on. And he said, this has got to stop. And he confronted this church planter. And he says, stop talking about Jesus. You're not doing this anymore. And he said, if you don't stop, and he had a knife with him, he says, I'll cut you up like a chicken. And so this church planter phoned his regional director and said, what should I do? Because I know this guy is serious. And then the regional director said to him, did God call you to go? And he said, yes. He says, if he has called you to go, you stay. And if he kills you, we'll give you a good funeral. That may not be the one thing that I wanted to hear at that time. Okay, Greg, you can come home now. It's too dangerous. No, he didn't. And at last report, he's still there sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I meet people like that all over the world. And that's what spurs me on. Because I've been in some pretty dangerous places, you know, Taliban territory and in Pakistan. And, you know, we've been in China and got arrested over there. And, you know, been in Nigeria where kidnappings happen and you're driving and you think, well, is this the day? Or, or you know, there's just so much violence or being in Iraq where, you know, they got guys that got guns around you. You know, and I'm not the bravest guy. When I played sports, I was like brave. I like to fight. I mean, I, I'll be honest about that. I actually had to confess that to Pastor Ken McDonald years ago. He'd be preaching on the Beatitudes and I'd be like an hour later in, in Sherwood Park fighting, playing lacrosse. But I was a new believer. But I think some of that, probably that intensity was there to help me to do what I'm doing. But that, that, you know, when you hear stories of those that are not willing to deny the Jesus at, at any time. Now, when I first went, and it's actually 20 years ago today that I officially started ministry with Voice of the Martyrs, and I'd spent three years uh, in partnership, volunteering, different things. But in 2000, January, we were living in Winnipeg. And long story short is everything came together, and I was able to now travel to South Sudan. And I'd learned how to run a video camera. Of course, I have a broadcasting background, ministry background. And so I was going. I was telling some of my friends, please pray as I go. Um, you know, I don't know what I'm really stepping into. And one of my good friends in Winnipeg, and I appreciate her a lot, but she called me up one day, and she told me, don't go. He said, that's irresponsible. And that kind of shook me. I thought, yeah, I, you know, and she says, you've got this beautiful family. You've got a son and your daughters. You can't go. A beautiful wife. And I said, yeah, but I feel like I'm called to go. And I tell you, fear did come over me. So the night before, and I don't know if my two daughters are going to, they're in this story now, know this. And if I cry, I'm, I, 
I cry a lot, and anyway, you'll get used to that. Um, but I went into their bedroom the night before I was to travel to South Sudan. And I knelt by their beds. I shouldn't even attempt to try to tell these stories. It's, it's, but I knelt by their beds and just said, you know, they were sleeping. I said, Daddy loves you. I'm glad I can't see it because now I'd be totally in tears. Daddy loves you, and whatever happens, God is with you. Something along that line. And I tears were streaming down my face. And I went to South Sudan and Ethiopia, and I came back. And I've traveled probably now 50 times or more into even more dangerous places. South Sudan was pretty dangerous. It was in a war. But I wasn't going to let fear get me. And I've said to parents and grandparents, now I'm a grandparent, um, we have to allow our kids to do what God wants them to do. And sometimes it is dangerous. And God doesn't even guarantee that we'll return. He doesn't guarantee our safety. But he does guarantee if we're with him, he will take us to heaven someday. And all the pain and suffering and all that stuff will be gone. So just, again, that's just an encouragement. I hope it's an encouragement or a challenge. Okay, let's go back to India. Now, as I mentioned, India has a very radical government. It's called the BJP. Uh, as I said before, they really, it is, if you are not Hindu, you're not truly Indian. And I have many friends in India, and that's, it's really hard for them to hear that. So they have these anti-conversion laws. And if you've been following the news, it's just spreading over a number of states in India. And what the, and these anti-conversion laws, you know, the way they're written, they actually sound reasonable. Nobody should come to a religion by compulsion or force or manipulation. You agree with that? I agree with, I agree with evangelism, but proselytizing and using any means to coerce people to come to Jesus, that's not the way he works. It's free. You come. I may want to push people that I love into God's kingdom. I can't do that. I can share the message of God's love through his son Jesus. I can tell them all the great things that God does and, is and, and, uh, and who he is and the teachings of Jesus, but you can't force anybody. So these anti-conversion laws, though, are now being used by these radical states and, and spreading right around the country, is that even if you do something kind, you have a food bank here, right? You have clothing here, right? Mark was showing me. And I'm going, that's the kingdom. This is the kingdom, you know, but that's, like, that's really the kingdom. When we go down Monday nights into the inner city and the people in the tents and hand out coffee, the king, that's the kingdom. And if God gives us opportunities to share God's love, we'll do that. But in India, you do anything like that, you hand out food, which you should, the poverty is, is terrible there, hand out food, clothing, medicine, immediately you're suspect. Especially if the people there, they're Hindu, let's say, and they become a Christian now, well, you've manipulated them. Even what Mother Teresa was doing in Calcutta would now be treated with suspicion. That's what our brothers and sisters are facing. You can't preach the message of God's love telling people about a place called heaven and a place called hell. You need to make a decision to follow Jesus. And that's what they're facing. There's so many options. And then you've got the violence that's taking place as well. I mean, when you think about it, we have the freedom here. We're online. We're in our communities. You know, people may think that we're, you know, believing in an outdated religion, that we're out of step with the culture. Yes, we're out of step with the culture. Thank God, because we believe in God's kingdom. We believe in Jesus being the Lord. And that's what we continue to do. 
But in India, it is so difficult to do that. And then there's also not only putting pastors and believers in prison, then there is also the violence. So recently, 150 Christian families, this is again, this is in December, it's just recent, several tribes were in Chhattisgarh State in India, militants came against them. So let's roll the video. I'm going to show you just a couple of these attacks. But many of the Christians were beaten up. And they were forced to leave their homes unless they renounced their faith in Jesus. These videos are often taken by those that are doing the attacks. Then putting them online and sending a strong message to Christians that if you continue to meet, now, this is in the same village. What I'd like you to watch here is as they're beating these precious women, our sisters in Christ, look at their response. I was talking to a pastor in India, and he said the same that I did. They are standing, and they're taking the beating. And he said it reminded him of Jesus, who when he was being attacked and crucified, he took it and kicking and doing horrible things. And yet so many of these believers refused to renounce their faith in Jesus. You want the attacks to stop? Then just, you know, leave Christianity and become a Hindu. And then Christian girls are often lured uh, into marriages uh, to Hindus. And, and we also have seen it as well um, with girls that have come from Hinduism trying to get them to reconvert or Christian girls. And a part of when I go next time, we'll be going up near Delhi and uh, into the north part of the country and meeting with girls that have been rescued. Um, the work is pretty intense, and, and the partners that we deal with there are amazing. I can't even say their names because of security issues, and I've interviewed some of them on my podcast, and we have to hide identities and change names. But that's what's going on in India, just some of the things. So please be praying for India. And again, I encourage you to take some notes or or go on the Voice of the Martyrs website. We have lots of information on India. Let's now move to Nigeria, where that is the most dangerous place in the world to follow Jesus. Last year, 2022, more than 6,000 Christians were killed. You can go to the next slide. Because of their faith in Jesus or because they were identified as followers of Christ. And the 6,000 were killed just by the Fulani Muslims. Now hear me out here too. I have to make this distinction. Fulani people are wonderful. Most of them are Muslim, but they're nomadic people. The Christians have the farms. They go in and they steal and they kill these Fulanis. But not all of them are like that. And the ministry that I work with down in Nigeria, Christian Faith Ministries, one of the ministries, is they've been doing reconciliation between uh, the Christians and the Muslims. And the Muslims love them because they're educating them, they're helping them. They've now opened a hospital near Jos, which is Plateau State, kind of more in the central part of Nigeria. And if you're familiar, most of Nigeria's north is Muslim, most of Nigeria's south is Christian, but it's the Christian villages in the north often that are being attacked. And unfortunately, even the government gets knowledge of what's going on, and they still will not intervene. And, and these Christians are just slaughtered. It's horrible. As you see these caskets here, this is from uh, a local church, and this happened actually Christmas Day. So when we were coming together to celebrate the birth of Jesus, 
in this village called Anangwa Koto. It is in Kaduna State, which is northern Nigeria. And the Fulani Muslims entered that village. Uh, they were shooting and killing. Uh, so, I mean, this is, this is typical. And then just prior to that incident, the days up into Christmas, militants attacked the village of Malagum, which is also in Kaduna State. And uh, this is actually from that particular, uh, in the days after that, as 40 believers had been killed. And these are their caskets. And again, this is just recent. And then another village in a place called Kagoro, which is on December 23rd. Uh, there was also an attack on that village. And many of our brothers and sisters were killed. Uh, and those that have survived, they've had to leave their villages. They've had to leave everything. And uh, as one of the uh, survivors said, mass graves litter the community and countryside. The assailants were heard shouting the declaration to Allah, Allah Akbar, God is great, while wreaking havoc, havoc on the village. And those are, you know, that continues to happen. Go to the next one. And you also see in Nigeria groups like the Boko Haram. And they have caused so much destruction. They've killed tens of thousands of believers. And yet even in the midst of all that, the church is still growing. Like if the Boko Haram came in here, or a group like that, and they killed half the people in here, would we be wanting to come back the next week? Would we be in fear? Or would, would there be a resolve that, no, we want to keep going? And here's the thing, there are believers now that are from Boko Haram backgrounds. And because they, and even ISIS, and, and we've heard the stories, as they were killing the Christians, they said there was something different about them, the way they died. Would there be fear? But there was also a peace. I don't know what my reaction would be, and I've been in some situations that, you know, things might go south here real fast. And then you feel that fear, and then there's this, this wave of the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And I think we've even seen that in our own lives when somebody around us is sick or going through a difficulty because he does promise to give the peace that passes understanding. And then next one, and you also see like so many of these young girls, you know, familiar with the Boko Haram girls, some of you? You know, back almost five years ago, 276 girls were captured in northern Nigeria, a place called Chibok, and some have been rescued, but there's still about 100 girls that are still in captivity after all that time. They've been forced to marry Boko Haram soldiers. They've had children. Some that have escaped, and I met some of them recently when I was in Nigeria, and they come back with children, and then the communities don't want them. Or they'll say, you can come back, but your children, you leave them because they belong to the Boko Haram. Man, we have to have the compassion of Jesus. No matter what happens, there was no fault to these young girls. They were studying for exams, like our teenage girls, and they were kidnapped, and they've been living in hell for eight years. And I think, again, every, when I, any message I do runs through the grid of the persecuted church. And some are familiar in the New Testament. It was per, basically persecuted Christians writing to persecuted Christians. So everything has to go through. So how, if one of my daughters was kidnapped, and now she's in a, you know, in a village with a man she didn't want to marry and having children. How do you press forward in that? How do you be the light of Jesus in the middle of it? And yet we've heard amazing testimonies of how those that are in these situations still have the light of Jesus. And we need to be praying for them. I mean, if there's something that gets me angry constantly is when I hear the stories from Pakistan. 
teenage girl, just kidnapped off the street, often by a much older man and a neighbor. And then the parents go to the police station, and they get no justice. I mean, and these girls, if they do get returned, then of course there's all the trauma. It's, it's, I hate it. I just, it's just, it's so evil. And yet, God is still allowing these things to go because his time for his return is not yet. The only hope, the big hope we have is we're going to be with him and all the pain and all the death and all the destruction will be gone. Now, I know this is a very serious message. I still have a sense of humor. I like to laugh. I like to have fun. But always in the back of my mind is the suffering of those that love Jesus. And it might even be in our own communities. I mean, I have friends going to a funeral tomorrow of a good friend of mine. His wife passed away. But then there's still that hope that we're going to be together again. We have to have an eternal perspective. We have a ministry uh, that we work with called, as I mentioned, Christian Faith Ministries in Nigeria. And uh, so because of my connection to 100 Huntley Street and Voice of the Martyrs, uh, we are helping to build what's called Mara's House. If you remember Mara, uh, Naomi in the Bible didn't want to be called that because she lost her sons and or, you know all the things that had happened. And yet she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. So what Mara's house is taking bitterness and turning it into joy again and hope and beauty. And so that's, again, if, we're not, if I'm just telling you these stories and we're not doing anything about it, it's pretty sad. And we can't do everything, but we can do some things. So Mara's house is a trauma center for these girls. And I met a number of them when I was there and did interviews. And if you want to go to the Voice of the Martyrs website, you can see those stories. It's amazing. Dreams, visions, God working, uh, and yet there's so much brokenness. But one of the young ladies that, that I got to know that is now in Mara's house, let's go to the next slide, and we're going to hide her face. Now, if you have that handout, I don't know if you can see it, um, but you can actually see her face. Uh, for those of you online, I, anything that we do online, we just can't uh, get out there. There's security issues. I mean, uh, although her appearance would certainly has changed quite a bit in that time. But uh, she's just this wonderful young lady I met. So she, at the time I met her, she had been a Christian about a year, came to Jesus at 13 in northern Nigeria. Her father was an imam, meaning leader in the mosque. Because of the witness of, uh, you know, those that uh, were in the Christian community, she became interested in Christianity. And then she got interested in church. Went to church, heard the gospel message, made a decision. When I met her, she was 14 and she had been beaten up by her father, and she had been forced into a marriage of a much older man, and she escaped. Ended up where I was in, uh, near Joss, and we talked to her, and she is illiterate, and now she was learning English, and how her language was quite amazing, what God was doing in her life. And so I was just so impressed. Here's this young girl that is new to the faith in Jesus, and yet she's so strong, and she's you know, even understanding when Jesus talked about, you know, even for the sake of the gospel, Jesus brought the sword not to bring peace, but even to divide family. You know, when it came to knowing Jesus, you know, turning father against daughter, daughter against father, and, and so on. And she really understood that. So I was like, wow, what an amazing lady. So I did a story with her, and we hit her face and all that. We had her on Huntley Street and all over the place. And then we heard that the marriage to this much older man was annulled. We were grateful. But then the next thing we heard was that her brother had said, I want to see you. And she went to go see him. He wasn't there. The door was locked. 
and she was sexually assaulted. And she became pregnant. And she wanted to have an abortion. Can understand the shame that she was feeling. But the Christians that were with her talked to her and said, no, don't do that. And she got counseling. And so she decided to have the child. And so when I was there back in May, so I hadn't seen her now four years, COVID and everything, couldn't get back. And I was with my video camera and I'm, you know, shooting video and talking to the different people. And I said to one of the guys I was with, Mui, I think it was, and I said, hey, how is Lena? And you can see her real name on there. I said, how's Lena doing? And all of a sudden, Lena appeared and got on the cell phone and there she's there. So here I am talking to this beautiful girl and I'm just saying, you know, your story has inspired, you know, Christians in Canada and around the world. She hadn't seen the story. I said, okay, we'll make sure you see it. And I talked to her. And now I, you know, I knew she had a baby, but I didn't want to ask any questions. You know, maybe she gave it up for adoption. I didn't know. And so then we're uh, going along. And then a couple days later, we're walking again through the compound, this large ministry compound in uh, Joss, just outside of Joss and Plateau State. And so I'm walking along. One of the guys says to me that said, there is Lena's daughter. Go to the next one. Now, again, we can't show the image there, but we got a, I got a photo with her. And when I saw the little child, and they told me her name was Beloved, and they call her Love. And I remember thinking, what the enemy had meant for evil, God turned to good. Go to the next one. This is this beautiful little girl. And her mom is now learning how to be a cook. They have vocational training there. And her story is powerful. God is using her. Forgetting what is behind. Assault. Pain. Separation from family. And pressing forward. She wants to be a pastor. She wants to be an evangelist. She wants to go into her village and tell her those people about Jesus. Because even our persecutors need to know Jesus. Why did he tell us to pray for those that persecute us? I have friends that persecuted Christians. They're now believers in Jesus. God is working in powerful ways. Now, I know I'm a little over time. Can I go about another 10 minutes? Is that okay? I don't see any. Okay, let's go just for a few more because I want to show you another a video from a lady that I met. And this helps to understand again the cost that many of our brothers and sisters are facing. But as you're listening to Hannah Tu's story, and she just went through some very heartbreaking, difficult things with the loss of her husband, but also the process of learning how to forgive. So you can play that video. My husband was a man of God, called by God, and I appreciate God for bringing us together. He was faithful and committed to the pastoral work. Ever since we started, we had so many challenges. But all through the challenges, he never once turned back. He had a passion for the gospel, and it was something that he vowed, whether life or death, he will do the work, and that he has contributed immensely to the growth of the church. 
domin saboda bishara a Kano domin gaskiya abubuwan da ya riga ya shiga on that night when the mob came he locked the door when he came out they started hitting him with all the things they had come with machetes and other weapons like that I heard him shouting that they should not touch his family that they should not touch his children after they finished hitting him and using all sorts of instruments they had brought, they ran away since the police were coming. I knew that when they were done with my husband, they were going to come after me and my children, because I had heard them shouting and saying that they wanted to kill everything that my husband had started relating to the gospel. When I came out, I saw that my husband's head had been badly injured because they had used machetes on his head and he was cut everywhere. And he was soaked in blood. So I quickly looked for a bandage to stop the bleeding. Johanna was eventually rushed to the hospital where he died of his injuries. In the aftermath of her husband's death, Hannah too has wrestled with the idea of forgiving the killers. It's not really been easy forgiving those people that did that, seeing that my husband was a good man, and I miss him. Sometimes I find it difficult and feel that I may not forgive, but I have forgiven them. One of the things I remember about him is how heroic he was in the faith and how he was able to unite the church and bring them together, which they are still doing. This is one of the things that is making the gospel succeed. I have been praying that God would give me the grace and ability to be able to build upon the work that my husband has left behind. I don't know if you could forgive in that situation. And this didn't happen all that long ago. You know, one of the questions that, you know, is asked is, why hasn't Jesus yet returned? And the reality is that he still wants more people to come to know him. And it says uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He is going to return. We look forward to that day. But until then, let's keep pressing forward. I want to conclude with this as the worship team comes back. Arlene's, my wife's interpretation of Revelation chapter 6, the fifth seal. And we can go to that slide. When he, Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who have been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they maintained. They, the martyrs, cried out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? 
and each of them was given a white robe. And they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. I don't know when that final martyr will be, when the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, will return. You sense that it's soon when you think about all that's going on in the world with pandemics and you know, wars and rumors of wars and everything that's going on as the gospel message has gone around the world. But yet, as we read from 2 Peter, he still wants more people in his kingdom. And that's the one thing that we continue to do. That's why we press forward. That's why we do not give up. Let's stand. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to come together to worship. And Lord, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters in countries like Ukraine when we hear that there's a spiritual revival happening even as bombs are dropping all over that nation. Father, that you would strengthen the church in Ukraine. You'd strengthen the church in Iran. Amongst all the chaos, people are looking for something to hang on to, something to go to, and we know that is Jesus. Pray for the underground church in Iran, in Iraq, in China, Afghanistan, in North Korea where believers meet in concentration camps. Lord, that you would strengthen your church. You'd strengthen your church in Canada. There's so many distractions that keep us from focusing our attention on the Lord Jesus. The Bible is very clear that we set our hearts, our minds, and our eyes gaze towards you, Lord Jesus. And Father, I just pray even right now by your Holy Spirit, if there be anyone in this room that has never made a decision to follow Jesus, I'd encourage you to do that today. You don't have to know the Bible. You don't have to know all these things about Christianity and understand and about the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What are these things? You don't have to understand that. What you do need to do is put your faith and trust in Jesus. He is calling all of us to come to him. So if you've never made that decision, just slip up your hand and uh, we'll have people here. I'll, I'll be down here at the end and some of our friends here from West Meadows uh, to just explain. We'll give you some information and to make a decision to follow Jesus. So if you want to do that, please do that and then come forward. I also want to pray for those that right now, maybe you feel like you're in a bit of a lull. Uh, you're not sure uh, the direction to go or maybe fear or, or, or you had a call in your life and somehow you've been distracted by that. Just put up your hand. And again, you don't have to understand everything, but if there's something that maybe God has put in your heart to do, and whether it's fear or circumstances, but the Lord is just kind of tugging at your heart. So again, just feel free to put up your hand, and I'm going to pray. Father, continue to send your Holy Spirit upon us. Strengthen us, Lord Jesus, to do the things that you have placed us on this earth to do. Forgetting what is behind, but pressing forward to that great prize. And the ultimate prize, of course, will be seeing Jesus Christ face to face. We thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. Continue, Lord, to be with us, to strengthen us, to do your work, and give glory to Jesus Christ. Amen.